So Michael and Jessica Dunlop, I'm not going to tell their story because that's why they're here. Uh, but all I'm going to say is this. Um, I, we were connected through a mutual friend. And as I began uh, kind of digging into their ministry, and we've been communicating for several months now before we finally got this all figured out. Uh, but, but as I was kind of digging through their ministry, I think you guys know this. I don't always let whoever comes through just come up and preach. But I appreciate Michael's um, commitment to theology and his commitment to the word of God. And that, is, that speaks our language, as you know. What are we, 26 weeks into the book of Mark right now, okay? So we, that speaks our language. You don't have to be, in, if you, you're not in the book of Mark this morning, right? Okay, good, they're going to all be happy. All right, so anyway, we're 26 weeks into the book of Mark. Um, can we do this, church family? He's going to tell a little bit about their family. Uh, he's going to preach this morning. Uh, can we give them a warm welcome and thank the Dunlop family for being with us? Michael, come on up. Thank you. Good morning. It's good to be with you. It's good to be um, good to be in Durham. It's been uh, it's been a few years since I've been here. I think I was actually um, I want to say 18 or 19 years old last time I spent any significant time um, in this city. <clears throat> I was here uh, as a teenager, like I said, um, with a it was for a, I think it was called the Urban Ministry Boot Camp with CEF Child Evangelism Fellowship here. And uh, last night we went out for dinner. We went to this little Korean Asian fusion place downtown. And as we drove, I dr we drove right past the church that we stayed in as teenagers, and then right past the YMCA that we went for showers every morning. Uh, so it brought back all these memories of, of being a teenager. Uh, um, and here in here in here in Durham, uh, if you could turn with me in your Bible to um, John chapter 17, um, I'm just going to share with you just briefly about who we are. Um, and then try to kind of incorporate some of the aspects of our ministry as we go along. Um, this, this passage, I'm not going to import other stuff into the passage that's not there, um, but where it comes out, where um, there's connections with what we want to do as missionaries, I'm going to try to bring those out. But we are the Dunlop family. My name is Michael. Uh, my wife, um, Jessica, is right here. We also have two kids, um, Jack, who is three, and uh, Amelia, who is five. And uh, we're, we, right now we, we reside in Greenville, South Carolina. We are in deputation trying to raise um, committed monthly support to go to France um, to do church planting and theological education. Um, and I, I tempted just to launch out into our full presentation, but I know we don't have time for that in addition to the, to the sermon this morning. Um, but I, again, I will hit some of those points. And if you have questions, please, please come back um, to our table, uh, talk to us, grab a little bag of coffee, um, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll hit why we do that in a minute. I'm not sure. <laughs> Grab a prayer card. <laughs> okay. All right. Let me let me just tell you that really quick. So when when if you could go to the next slide, um, I'm just going to kind of start off with a little bit of a uh, a little bit of explanation. Um, the the core of what we want to do is church planting, um, and that will become clear even in this sermon from John 17. Um, but if you, if you kind of follow this, this arc, this flow, and it's not obviously that simple in real life, but um, this kind of pictures what we're trying to do, you'll notice um, that before there's discipleship, disciples, the church is made up of disciples. The Great Commission is about go and make disciples of all the nations. Before there's that, um, there's, there's connecting with people, building relationships with people, and we talk about hospitality and the church just um, using your home to, to, to love people, 
um, to build relationships with people. And those types of long-term relationships are key. Uh, I'd say key to ministry in Europe, but in reality, they're really key to ministry anywhere. But I think especially in Europe, where people are very hardened and um, the gospel, um, gospel decisions often come um, after periods of years of working with people, building those long-term relationships. Before that, how do we get to know those people to begin with? And that's what we call strategic connections. And that's, this is where coffee roasting comes in. This is a, a picture of a coffee roaster and the icon, if you can't tell. Uh, and uh, a few years ago, I got started roasting coffee at home. And then when we moved to Greenville, I decided to try to get a, a job roasting coffee. Um, and the, the point is uh, that this type of thing, coffee roasting for me, and it could be any number of things for any number of people, is a way that, that I can connect with people, um, get to know people. I've, I've had people into my home that otherwise I never would have bumped shoulders with. I've been able to share the gospel with people um, who otherwise I never would have got to even meet um, because of just an interest in coffee. And this obviously is not about me promoting coffee roasting to you guys. You guys all need to go out and order a coffee roaster and start this. It's about anything. What are your hobbies? What are your, um, what are your interests? What are your abilities? How can you not just use those for yourself, not just like do those in your backyard or in your garage or in your basement or wherever you do your hobbies, but how can you think strategically about using those with people? How can I do what I like to do with other people? Join a group of people that does that, get to know people, build relationships, ultimately for the sake of sharing the gospel with them. Turn with me back to John 17. <laughs> um, people have um, long perceived um, a level of significance in a person's last words. Um, and you could get lost for hours uh, if you're ever looking for uh, something to Google and spend way longer than you wanted to spend, you know, in bed or whatever at night. Um, Google famous last words. Okay, don't do it now, please. Um, and some of them are humorous, uh, some of them are tragic, um, sometimes they can be inspiring and challenging, you know, you, sometimes you'll see memes or little graphics on social media with people, someone's last words, and quite often the ones that are the most famous, the ones that really stick with us the most, are those that kind of sum up something of a person's philosophy, or maybe um, their heritage, or something that they're known for, and they, they kind of just say that as they're, as they're in their dying breath. Um, John 17 uh, is not, strictly speaking, Jesus' last words, right? We could, we could talk about his, uh, his words prior to the cross or his words on the cross. Um, then obviously, we're, he's not a normal person. <laughs> he's the incarnate son of God and he came back to life, so he continues speaking words. Uh, but, but Jesus, um, during this time, during uh, John 13 through 17, it's called the farewell discourse. Jesus knew he was going to die. Right? And, he, and, and Luke, the Gospel of Luke, um, describes his focused intentionality on this, um, saying that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what the plan was. So John 17 um, happens during this time. Um, John 17 um, is part of what we call the farewell discourse. And, and not only is it kind of his last words in that sense that he knew he was going to die and he's preparing for that, it's also um, part of really what could be considered his last sermon. It's a discourse. And as Jesus prayed this prayer, um, it seems obvious to us that he did, it, did so in, in relation to his disciples, somewhere near where they, they could hear him, and intentionally so. 
But not only that, um, on top of that, layered on top of those two things, is the fact that this is, this is a prayer. John 17 is a prayer. So it's not just God's words, um, um, Jesus' words to man, but, but Jesus' words to God. John 17, and the prayer that is um, there, is the longest recorded conversation between two members of the Trinity. That's interesting in and of itself. And, and the fact that it's a prayer, it, it actually has some of its own uh, challenges um, in preaching. For, for example, there's no imperatives. There's, there's no commands for us to obey. But it also carries with itself a certain weightiness. We are listening into the heart of the Son in communion with his Father. Let's read. I want to read. We don't have time this morning to read the entire passage, but I would like to start in verse 14 and read my way down um, through about 19 for, for now. Let me find my place here. It says, I have given them your word, and the world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15, John 17, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. Let me pray with us this morning. Father, um, we are so grateful for um, your church, for the chance to come this morning, to gather, um, to bump shoulders with one another, um, to encourage one another, to edify one another. Um, and to, to, to praise you, to worship you. We're thankful for your word, that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for even this record of um, the prayer of Jesus in John 17. God, challenge us by this prayer. Challenge us by this scripture. Help us to leave changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this may not be a typical missions passage, um, but I think it has significant missions, uh, a significant missions theme. You've already seen some of that talking about the sending. And, and because of where it is in the life of Jesus, in this, this really important period where Jesus is, is getting ready to die and he's praying uh, to the Father, it, it portrays the priorities and the purposes of Jesus in a vivid way. In a very vivid way. As you already know, this prayer can be um, basically divided into three parts. First, Jesus prays for himself and his own glory. We haven't read that part um, yet. Um, then he, he prays for his immediate disciples. And then he prays for all the disciples who will um, believe basically based on their witness. And that would include us. Um, and, and this morning, I want to take just a few number of those requests, a small number of those requests, and then look at them together in a way that I think is faithful to John's purpose and, and his overall theology of the chapter, and especially his theology of missions. How does Jesus, in this important prayer, portray our mission as believers in the world? That's what we're going to look at. Um, we know from John chapter 20, verse 31, that, Jesus, that John's primary purpose in writing the gospel is evangelistic, right? So he's written these things so that you will believe in the Son of God. John um, spent 
his ministry up to this point witnessing primarily and preaching primarily to um, his own countrymen, to Jewish people. And the book of, of John, the Gospel of John, is, is almost like a, a, an evangelistic tract that he's written. Sorry, I'm going to stand over here if that happens. Uh, <laughs> that he's written um, for his Jewish audience, for his brothers and sisters, um, to show that Jesus is the Messiah. So it's an evangelistic work. But you might ask um, uh, yourself, well, if this is an evangelistic work, if this is a work meant to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, then what does that mean for me? You know, like I, many of you sitting here might say, I, I already follow Jesus. I'm already, I'm already one of those people. I'm already a believer in Jesus Christ. What does this have to do with me? But the answer is that the best evangelistic works, the best presentations of the gospel, um, don't just tell us how to get in to new life. Um, they tell us something about what that new life looks like. And, and that's, that's the case for John, for the, for the Gospel of John, for the farewell discourse. Um, so as we look at our text this morning, I believe what, what John and, and what Jesus before him wants us to understand is that because we are sent out for God's glory, we must be faithful to his purposes. These purposes that are highlighted by, by where this is in the Gospel of John. And we're going we're gonna to see this unpacked in two particular areas. Let's look, look back with me again at verses 15 to 16. 15 to 19, actually. It says, um, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As I sent you into the world, so have I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. The first thing that we have come to see from this passage is that because we are sent out for God's glory, um, we, we, first of all, we must be set apart by God's word. Verse 17, where it talks about sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. This is a passage that I have a lot of history with. This is a passage that I heard um, preached and taught on and we had to memorize all the time um, as a kid, as a teenager growing up. It was kind of a key proof text um, that you need to read your Bible more, right? You need, you need to, to read your Bible, and if you read your Bible, you will be, you'll become more and more like Jesus. You'll become more and more sanctified. And I think that is absolutely true. But I also think that it sort of misses um, a little bit of the context of what is being said here. Um, it misses especially the missions, implications of this passage. It's, it, it kind of turned into this very individualistic thing, like, I can, I can take my Bible, and if, if I read, you know, s s you know, quote, whatever, however many pages a day, you know, I'm going to be that sanctified, I'm going to grow in my holiness, I'm going to become more and more like Jesus, and, you know, it doesn't really matter necessarily what I do with that, it doesn't necessarily matter what I do outside of the comfort of my home, um, I can just become more and more holy if I read more and more of the Word of God. Um, but look with me at the context, look with me at the context. Um, verse, the verse pr right prior to that says, They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Um, think, about, think about this question. If, if that is really all that life is about, is about just becoming uh, more holy, um, or if, uh, I should rephrase that, if, if, um, if, life, if life as a Christian is just about an individual thing, and it doesn't really relate um, to others. It doesn't really re relate to mission. And why did, why does God keep us here? 
once we come to know him? Why doesn't he just like rapture us out of here or something once, once you believe? You know, you, you come to a place of faith and you can just say, all right, you're good. You're good to go. Let's, let's go. Well, the answer is that he has, he has sent us on a mission. Um, he, he says that we're not of this world. We're not of this world. We're, we're kind of a, 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 an alien from a future, a future kingdom. And then, and then we've been sent on a mission. And then look at the, look at the following verse. This, this verse is sandwiched between two verses that really help us understand it. The, the following verse. Um, As you sent me into this world, so I have sent them into the world. So we're sent. We're sent with a purpose. So this, this sanctifying that it's talking about here is not merely um, just the progressive sanctification. It's talking about being set apart for a purpose. Look, look with me at even the, the next verse, 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. That word consecrate um, that's spoken of Jesus is the exact same word as the word sanctify. So is, is Jesus talking about himself? Is he talking about progressive sanctification for himself? Certainly not, right? Jesus is holy, uh, perfectly without sin. He doesn't need progressive sanctification. He's saying, I'm consecrating myself, setting myself apart to this mission that God has set me on. And it's the same thing for us. When it talks about being set apart, being sanctified in the word, it's about being set apart by the word, consecrated to the word to a mission, to a task that he has sent us on. John 3, verse 17 um, says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And this is the same mission um, that God is sending us on, not obviously to save the world like Jesus, but, but to point people to the one who can save us from being condemned, to point people to the cross where Jesus died a substitutionary death on our behalf so that we could be saved. This, and, and, and this is our task this is our mission that he sent us on, um, to bear witness to this fact. This is our task here in Durham. This is our task in France. Um, in France, there are, there are over 65 million people. And um, conservative estimates say that maybe 1% of those people have trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. We tend to think about uh, France and much of Europe as being... Uh, Christian, you know, we, we think about the history, we think about the, the Reformation, we think about all the amazing pastors um, and theologians and uh, missionaries that have come from Europe, and we think, well, you know, they're farther along than we are in some, in some cases, but they've gone so far, they've drifted so far. Um, Christianity um, used to be uh, 82% in France, and that includes all of Roman Catholicism predominantly. And in just a matter of two decades, it's um, 52%. And like I said, um, of, of those who actually know Jesus Christ as their Savior, probably, probably less than 1%. So it's a huge need. And, and this is the mission that he sent us on. He's, he's tasked us with something. We need to be set apart, set apart to that task, consecrated to that task. And how are we, do, how are we to do that? How are we to be sanctified? Well, the answer is right here in the text, in the word of God. Um, Jesus wants the Father to fill us with the word of God and the truth of the gospel. It's, it's only by understanding scripture and, and soaking in the message of Jesus that believers can have their minds transformed 
to think and to live in the way he wants, to, to be his ambassadors. If you, were, if you were to be an ambassador for a country, you have to know something of the country you're ambassadoring for. <laughs> I don't know if the right terminology. You, have to, you, have, you represent that nation. You represent um, its desires. You represent um, its interests in the world. You represent all those things. You're, you're a spokesperson for that nation. Likewise, um, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We are sent on a mission for Jesus Christ. How are we to, to do that properly? By, by knowing the mind of God. <laughs> by, by knowing his desires. By knowing what is true and what is false. Being able to represent that. And if you are to represent that faithfully, you have to be in this word. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with, with growing in your understanding of the word? And there's so many things that you can do. I would encourage you guys to, to be the church together, to, to encourage one another, and not, to just do, not just to do this on your own, kind of like willpower yourself to, to read more of the Bible, to learn more theology, but to think about how can you use each other to help you do that? How can you set up uh, accountability for, for spending time in the Word? How can you start maybe theology study groups? How can you meet together weekly with, with a friend from this church to study a book of the Bible together, to pray together? This is what the body is for. And um, this is also uh, key to why this point at the top here, theological education, is so important to us. Um, if we are going to plant healthy churches in France, um, we can't plant churches that are going to be perpetually reliant on you know, American missionaries coming in to pastor. So we want to be able to train up um, national pastors who can take those churches and, and, and lead those churches and plant other churches. And uh, there's an a institute in the north in Grange, France, that we want to be involved in. Excuse me. And uh, we're excited about that. Um, but theology is important. The word of God is important. It's essential. Um, John 17, 18, As you sent me into the world, so have I sent them into the world. So Jesus is praying for us. Jesus is praying for you. Um, he's praying for a number of things. But central to his prayer is the fact that we are sent out as he is sent out. But um, Jesus doesn't envision a bunch of lone ranger missionaries out there saying, all right, I'm on mission, I'm on task, I'm going out into the world. Um, God, as a Trinitarian being, um, is a being of community in and of himself. That's an amazing fact. <laughs> and, um, and he wants us as Christians to reflect that, to reflect that loving community in the world, right? That's what the church is. This is part of the reason he created the church, um, the, the church isn't incidental to God's mission. Don't think, of, don't think of the church as a place that you come to simply recharge once a week to get back out there into the world. Um, the church is the means that God, designed by, that God designed for your growth and for the expansion of the gospel in the world. Look, look with me at, at verses 20 to 23. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be, um, so, sorry, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, and the glory that you have given me, I have given them, 
that they may be one, even as we are one. So not only um, are we supposed to, to um, be being set apart by his word, um, we're also, we also have to strive to maintain loving unity in the church. And there's really two opposite errors that um, historically have been um, taken with regard to this passage. Okay? So on the one hand, um, I don't know if you're, you guys are familiar with um, the term the ecumenical church movement. Um, you know, 100 years ago, maybe less than that, there was a, a lot of pushes to, to kind of bring all the churches, all the denominations into one big happy family. Um, it was a worldwide movement. And um, they used this text as kind of like a, a, a banner to wave. Like Jesus prayed for the unity of the church, therefore um, we have to be on board with this. We have to do all that we can to, to unify the whole church, the whole world church. Um, but what that meant was um, more than what Jesus meant. <laughs> what that meant was that all churches have to kind of um, conform to the lowest common denominator of what they were. Like anything that we disagreed on, we just nixed that off. You know, um, you believe in the absolute inerrancy of the scripture. Well, I don't. So you cut that part off your doctrine. <laughs> or you believe in the, the virgin birth of Jesus. Well, I don't. So you cut that off your doctrine. And we all just come up with something that we all believe together. <laughs> and that, that was kind of the, in, in some, that what, what they were going for. It was a kind of a brute force unity. We have force us all into this one box and chop off anything that doesn't fit. Um, but is that, is that what Jesus is praying for here? I, we don't even have to go outside the passage to, to show you that. The passage itself says, like we've already talked about, sanctify them in the truth. Surely Jesus is not um, talking about the truth and the importance of truth and then turning around and saying, truth doesn't matter. Let's just all get together and sing Kumbaya, right? <laughs> But then there's the opposite error um, that some conservatives would make, um, pushing back against that, and they would simply say, this unity that Jesus prayed for is a spiritual unity that is, that is absolutely true and exists, regardless of anything that we do. Um, and there is, a tr there is that, that is actually a reality. There is a true spiritual unity. Ephesians makes this really clear that we all share the same spirit. We are all in the same body, so there is an absolute... Um, spiritual unity that exists regardless of what we do. But that's not what Jesus exactly is praying for here. Look with me at the text again. <clears throat> he says, um, let, let's just look at 23. He actually says this several times, but look at 23. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, the idea of unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and, and love them even as you loved me. That, that So that is saying that the unity produces something in the world. In other words, the unity is visible, okay? The unity that, that Jesus is praying for is a visible unity. It's not just a, uh, the world, you know, the, the world doesn't see churches that are fighting with each other and say, wow, at least they have a spiritual unity and they all share the same spirit. Um, <laughs> that doesn't happen. The world can only see what our actions are. And the only type of unity that is actually going to cause the world to take notice and say, wow, there's something different about Keystone Church. There's something different about the way they love each other. There's something different about the, the way they practice hospitality with one another. There's something so, so unified about this church. The only way that they're actually going to see that is by the way you actually live your lives. He's praying for that. 
And, and the world seeks that. The world longs to see unity like that. And this is illustrated, I don't know if you guys have watched any of the Olympics this year, but this is illustrated in the Olympics. And um, actually in the, the Olympic um, uh, slogans, I, don't, I didn't know this until a couple years ago, that, that every Olympics has like a slogan that goes with it. Um, but you can see this desire of the world for unity, even in their slogans. Let me read just a few. Um, 1988, Seoul, <coughs> South Korea. It's harmony and progress. Um, that word harmony kind of has this unity idea to it. 1992, Barcelona, friends forever. Um, 2008, Beijing, one world, one dream. Um, year 2000, Sydney, Australia, share the spirit. That has almost a theological ring to it, doesn't it? Um, and then in 2020, in Tokyo, the first, the first um, slogan that they had, and they actually changed it, but the first one was united by emotion. Okay, so that even the word united is there. And then they later changed it to faster, higher, stronger, together. And actually, faster, faster, higher, stronger was the original Olympic motto from like the 1800s. And they just added the word together to it. The world wants to see togetherness. The world wants to see unity amongst people. Um, but the, the, the unity that... that um, is in the Olympics is really a, a manufactured unity. I had a friend who got to translate for one of the teams a long time ago, and he, was, he told the story about how the, he was given this big, fat notebook of all kinds of rules and regulations and things that he had to um, be careful of so as to not, you know, to, to be able to help um, tensions between teams. If there is issues, if there's fighting, if there's arguing, to be able to kind of diffuse situations because you're talking about nations that, you know, in some cases are at war with one another, um, are all together in this, in this group, and they have to make sure that they don't cause anything. <laughs> so it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a false unity, right? It's this manufactured unity, because that's the world, what the world wants to see. Um, can we as a church demonstrate and maintain the unity that is true of us in Christ? Um, can you think of someone you have a conflict with at this local church? Um, is it affecting your witness? It certainly is. Um, let's, look, let's look down um, again at, at our passage, verse 24. I'm running out of time. So 24 um, to 26. I'm going to skip right ahead. 20, 25. Actually, I'm going to start in 25. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know... Um, Sorry, the world does not know you. I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This um, is such a fitting conclusion. And when Jesus says that he made known to them your name, he's saying Something like, he's revealed who he is. Jesus has revealed who he is. He's, he's shown us the nature of the Father. And then he says, that. The word that, like so that. He, he's showing us the purpose or the result for what um, proceeds. And the, and the result is so that Jesus will be in us and his love will be in us. And the glorious thing is that this revealing of the Father to us by Jesus was not just a one-time thing. 
It was not just a, something that he did in history, though he did do that in history. Um, but look with me again at verse 26. I made known to them your name and will continue to make it known. Jesus is continuing to reveal the Father to us. He's doing this by his spirit. He's doing this by the word. Um, and, and without that, guys, um, we couldn't do any of this stuff. You know, we, we couldn't really um, continue to have real genuine unity in um, our churches. We are, we are utterly dependent on Jesus revealing himself to us, making him known. If we're, if we're truly going to love like God and exhibit the unity that he has called us to, this is what we need. And, and we can be so encouraged. This is not simply something that he says you have to do. This is, this is something, we're, we're reading a prayer. This is something that Jesus prayed for us. He's called us out of the world, right? He's called us out of the world for his glory, for his mission, by his word, that, that we, in our unity, would show the world the truth of the gospel. And we can only do this if, if Jesus continues revealing himself to us. We are dependent on him every moment. And this is why we have to continue to be sanctified, set apart by the word of God, um, coming face to face with Jesus Christ um, in his word. C.H. Spurgeon commented on this passage and he said, this is the original missionary society. That's kind of like a older term for mission board. We were with a mission board. But this is the original missionary society and the model for all others. Christ sent missioned of the Father, and every saint missioned of Christ. Are you carrying out your mission, O ye people of God? How dare you call yourselves by that name if you have no mission to anybody? If you are living here for yourself alone, how can you belong to Christ, who never lived a moment for himself, but always lived wholly for others? Let's be on mission for God, guys, set apart by his word, continually in it, knowing, knowing what the battle plan is, knowing what, 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 what the nation that we represent um, cares about, and let's be unified together as a church so that the world takes notice, just like Jesus said in John 13, that um, they would see um, our love for one another, and they would know they, they're Jesus' disciples. Let's be that. Let's grow in that. Let me pray for us to that end. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystonerdu.church. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.